Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and things we can all do to live a better life. Times get tough for even uh, if they don't. Today is November the 2nd, 2020. This is episode 2765, 2765 times now we've gotten together at the Survival Podcast. We're kicking off a new week and a new month. Um, little heads up announcement about next week. Next week is the workshop, TSP20 workshop. I'm about as busy as a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest getting ready for this. I don't know how many shows there'll be next week. There may be a show or two missed next week. They will be rewinds if they're anything. Um, but uh, next week is debatable right now as to what will or will not occur. Maybe I'll rewind some rewinds just to speed things up. I don't know. Anyway, um, I do have a great show for you guys today. I've got a great quote of the day about the coming of winter. We're going to talk about COVID restrictions and how they're developing into what I can only describe as an idiot's game of Simon Says. Uh, we'll talk, I think I've mentioned this before, we're going to just talk a little bit more about the uh, the restrictions that Gavin Newsom has put on uh, Thanksgiving gatherings in California. I'm actually going to play, because uh, I can't read it, I, 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 I'm ready to just shoot myself in the head reading this stuff, so... This other podcast that uh, Buddy Mark sent to me has uh, a coverage. Basically, they read off the list of restrictions. I'm going to play that for you, and I'm going to come back with not criticizing them individually, just pointing out how stupid that they think you are because, well, some of you are. When I say some of you, I don't mean this audience. I mean your fellow countrymen. Um, a listener has a book recommendation on a lo for long-range shooting. Uh, I don't know this book or this author, but I'll go ahead and mention it because it's on sale. And I'll have a link in the show notes if you want to uh, take a look at it. I got feedback from Nicole Sauce on the DeWalt deal from last week. This may have happened to some of you guys, so I'm going to let you know a little bit about it. Uh, some of you ordered it, and you're getting it, and you're happy. And some of you ordered it, and you thought you were getting it, and you're not. How'd that happen? I'll tell you what I think. I don't know, but I'll tell you what I think. Um, last week I made a comment kind of in passing. I think it was during... I think it was during the the show with John Pugliano. Uh, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was some other time. Maybe it was on Unloose the Goose. I'm not sure why I made this comment, but I said something to the effect of, when it comes to cryptocurrency, what Monero does right now will look like child's play in the future. And somebody said, what exactly do you mean by that? I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. I'm going to say, though, I don't have insider information or anything here or somebody telling me what's going to happen. I just am looking at the history of cryptocurrency and what happens every time it's got pressure put on it and um, the history of technological innovation. I'll tell you some ideas I have that could be done and uh, what that would look like and, and how we're going to eventually have a currency system, um, a cryptocurrency system, where there's literally nothing anybody can do at all to jack with it in any way um, at all. Quantum computing be damned. Uh, next up, on crypto, I found a new website where you can buy stuff with cryptocurrency. And it's not like Joe Blow's you know, Cryptoporium or anything. It's called Spendabit, which I, I love the name of it because, well, that's what crypto's for. It's not just for holding and hoping it Lambos to the moon for you, but actually to be your own bank. And these are big companies. 
uh, really big companies that are uh, available to spend cryptocurrency with. Is it perfect? Probably not. And I don't know how well it's going to work out for me. They have an affiliate program that I signed up for. Um, it might be lackluster, but I'll at least let you know about it. And if you guys decide to use it at all, we can at least begin to see if it does anything for me. Uh, and if, even if it doesn't, maybe it will do something for you. I know a lot of people say I would like to do more of my, uh, more of my transactions in cryptocurrency. So it's between, you know, me and the vendor only. Um, and this makes that a little bit easier to do. I'm pretty sure most of these vendors are absolutely immediately going to cash, but it works for you, and that's what's important. Uh, more feedback on the shift to remote work and the commercial real estate uh, crash I've forecasted. Um, this is direct feedback from somebody in the know uh, with what one company's doing. And it's the kind of thing that when a company the size of this does this, uh, they're all going to. They're all going to. Uh, next, what I mean when I say, get out, get out, get out, and I add, get into a defensible position to it when I talk about setting up your life and your homestead, etc. And it's probably not what you think. This one I'm going to record uh, on video as well and put out on YouTube as a standalone. And then I've got ending humor today. Uh, Patrick E. McManus was a, uh, a writer for Outdoor Life magazine, passed away recently. I mentioned him on the show. And he used to do uh, a, a segment there. I think it was called The Last Laugh or something like that, or The Ending Laugh. And I, as a kid, it was my favorite thing to read in Outdoor Life magazine. This is my version today because sometimes old Pat made fun of himself. And today, I'm going to make a little fun of myself. And it is warranted, as you'll hear. Uh, there is that... Uh, That, I think it's Geico commercial. It says we all do dumb things. And I think that's true. We all do dumb things. But sometimes we all say stupid things. So I said a stupid thing. It was no big deal. But uh, if you follow me on social media, you might already know the story. All that and more in just a minute before we uh, get into that. Let's start off with our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is Butcher Box. Um, this is a sponsor that I love so much that they pay me in product. Uh, in fact, I just got my giant box of meat uh, this last week. Uh, I think it was either Thursday or Friday it showed up in the middle of recording the show. The wife's like, you need to go get it. It's so heavy, I can't bring it in this time. And the reason for that is I added a turkey to it this time. Uh, so I had to pay for that. Uh, that was in addition to the, the amount that they give me every month in return for being a sponsor. But how much more can I endorse a company when I say, you should get your meat here and they pay me in the meat that you're going to buy there? Um, if I would refuse to do that, if I was like, nope, I only want your money, that would mean that I don't think the product's as good as it is. And I certainly do. In fact, that's how they got me. Uh, I was open to bringing on a new sponsor, and they heard that, and they reached out to me. It's over three years ago now. And they said, we're not even going to pitch you at first. Let us send you some product. Let us send you a giant box of meat for free. You eat it, and you tell us what you think of our product. Now, what the hell did you think I was going to say? No, of course I said yes, but the second yes, the yes we can work together, yes, that was the big one, and the box made it happen. You get that box of meat sent to your house, you'll see why I feel that way. Uh, remember, you can always get a great discount on ButcherBox.com. It's $10 a month, every month, off your order. Spend it any way you like it if you're an MSB member. That's twice plus your MSB membership every year, just in one discount uh, provider. Next up today, Backwoods Home Magazine. This is another really easy kind of lay-down sale from my end when they wanted to be a sponsor. I started reading Backwoods Home Magazine in 1993, and I still do. 
What else do I need to say? You can find out more at BackwoodsHome.com. All right, let's go in with a uh, quote of the day. I've been looking for quotes about winter because even though we're not there yet, we're headed right into winter. I've always said winter's coming because it always comes. Um, I like this one a lot. Tom Allen said this, While I relish our warm months, Winter forms our character and brings out our best. And as soon as I read that, I thought, started thinking about why it's true and how we can make it more true. The reason it's true is because we have to behave differently in winter. And in the past, you know, when there wasn't, you know, 24-7 heated things everywhere and what have you, and, and in a time in our country where things were a little bit harder to get by with, which, you know, I'm I'm old enough, I remember that, uh, growing up in rural Pennsylvania in the winter there, it was more true. It was more true that we ended up kind of stuck inside with, with our families. And it was more true that we had better have gotten things together and ready for winter before it happened. And so I think what we can do so that each winter more forms our character and brings out our best, is to prepare for it, not just from a logistical standpoint of, hey, let's make sure we have food put up, let's make sure backup heats around. I mean, all that stuff's important. But I mean mentally prepare for how we're going to use it to better ourselves. How we're going to use it so that when we come out in the spring, we make more out of the next year than the prior one. And that's something that's it's totally on us because exactly what needs to happen in that time, emotionally, logistically, and spiritually, is individualized. What I need to do with my winner is different than what you need to do with your winner. But the way we approach it is dramatically the same, and that is we do an assessment of ourselves and where we're at, an evaluation of what we're about to go through as far as limitations, And then an assessment of where we want to be when we come out the other end of it, when those uh, those birds start singing in the, in, in the spring again and the buds start breaking out. And what do we need to do to get from point A to point B in that, that time? That's the same formula for everybody. It doesn't change. While I relish our warmer months, winter forms our character and brings out our best, Tom Allen. With that, let's go ahead and uh, jump on into it. I want to play this for you now. This is uh, a podcast called a Financial Sense Podcast. And it is about two minutes, the segment I'm going to play for you. It was sent to me by a buddy named Mark. And it is a list of the restrictions that Gavin Newsom is putting in place in California and telling families they need to do when it comes to this coming Thanksgiving gathering. If, if you don't live in California, just know that California kind of sets the pace for the rest of the country. I mean, some of the things the governor is doing in this state is he's acting more like a tyrant. Now, I kid you not, uh, this is uh, a mandate coming down from our governor on Thanksgiving. If you are a family, it's mandated that you cannot have more than two family members over for Thanksgiving. So in my case, I have three sons. I would have to pick which two would be able to come over to our house for Thanksgiving. That's number one. Rule number two, you cannot eat your dinner indoors. It must be outdoors. Number three, people can be allowed to go in the house to use the restroom only if it is immediately sanitized. 
And I kid you not, folks, these are the rules coming down in California. I mean, some of this stuff, Chris, is what we're seeing is so much more political science. I mean, you know, the governor of Illinois mandating that you could be a family of four or five living together in a home. But if you decide to go on a boat, only two of you would be allowed on the boat at any one time, no matter the size of the boat. Now, is it just me, or does this not really seem like an it? You know, I call it an idiot's game of Simon Says. It, think about back when you was a kid. If you're old enough to, to have a memory like this, because I don't know what they do in school, and I don't know what they've done for the last twenty years. But you know, I was in school in the '70s and '80s. And we had a lot of games and stuff like that that we played in school for recess and what have you that the teachers would take over and make us do so we weren't just, you know, farting off and enjoying ourselves the way kids are supposed to. And one of those games, you might do it in like a, a gym class when you weren't supposed to be inside but it rained or something, was called Simon Says. Remember Simon Says? Simon Says, touch your head. Simon Says, touch your left knee with your right hand. Touch your nose. Uh-uh, Jimmy, you're out. Simon didn't say. Remember that? You remember how, like, that game might go on for quite a while because, you know, kids aren't as stupid as adults think they are, and eventually kids do learn to listen. And, and I think this is actually a useful game to train kids in basic situational awareness, whether Simon said or didn't. And you get that one teacher who's just a little different and willing to do things that some teachers never do. And they start calling out some really dumbass instructions, and it's no longer about getting Jimmy or Billy out. It's about seeing if Jimmy or Billy will just keep doing whatever Simon says to do. And uh, that's how this this sounds to me, like no singing or chanting, or you know, you can you can go inside to use your own bathroom, but only if it's sanitized. Come on, you can have this many of your children at your home, but not this many. This is stupid. And it's absolutely unenforceable. Now, don't get me wrong. You're going to hear some some stupid shit where some cops yank somebody out of their house or something uh, on Thanksgiving in California because some COVID Karen or Kyle is going to call in and go, I'm really concerned about my neighbors. They seem to have way too many people there. They're inside together. I know I... I, I, they were singing some kind of song. It sounded like a, a Christmas carol, and it's upsetting because I'm an atheist, and they're not listening to Mr. Newsom, and, you know, it'll happen. But in general, statewide, good luck with that. And when the state... Now understand, these aren't guidance. This is actual this-ass-clown Gavin Newsom... Is actually saying this shall be the law of the land according to the governor of your state for this day. This is an emergency situation and you will do as I say. Gus screw. But if you have doubted me when I have said over and over and over and over and over and over again, this is not about your safety. This is about you being controlled. Will you please break? Will you please accept that vaccination? Will you please? Will you please stop thinking they're trying to help you now? Would you? Would you please stop giving them any benefit of the doubt across the board? This is all bullshit. It's all bullshit. It's all 100% bullshit. 
The six-foot number, completely arbitrary, has nothing to do with reality. The mask mandates are bullshit. They don't work. So says 70 years of randomized controlled testing, gold standard for science. And more and more scientists and doctors are coming out now and stating that that is a fact. I had a listener ask me, for instance, over the weekend, and I wrote a written response to this. I wasn't going to do it on the air, but it fits here. Uh, Jack, well, if the masks don't work, why do surgeons wear them when they perform surgery? That's a great question, because if you, if you know the answer to that, then you know why it's ridiculous to assert that they do work for the general public walking around at the gas station, the Piggly Wiggly, or the Walmart. Okay, so surgeons do not wear, let me say this again, do not wear surgical masks to prevent the, the um, ex exposing their patients to viruses, period. It's not done. It's not done. This is why when your surgeon comes in before your surgery and says, hey, I'll be your surgeon today, I'll be cutting your chest open and inserting this tube into your artery because, well, you didn't take care of your artery and it's full of goo. Is he wearing a mask? No. Why not? Well, he's not doing surgery. Yes. But how does a virus like a coronavirus or a flu virus spread? It spreads through respiratory particles, and it goes into your respiratory system. You have openings for these. We call them your nose and your mouth. See how that works? Now, when he lays you on a table and he cuts you open, and that magical thing called skin is now parted waste from a scalpel and your inner body is exposed, it's not the flu virus they're worried about going into your cut. It's mostly bacterium. And bacterium are much, much, much larger than viruses. And if you're breathing, and you're breathing bacteria, when somebody's cut open, there is a high probability of chance that that bacteria can get into the wound, and that's what they're trying to prevent. By the way, surgeons have these people that help them, right? Okay, You've seen these medical documentaries and stuff. You see the surgeon, hand me this, suction here, blah, blah. They tell them what to do and they act like gods, and that's how they're treated in an operating room. Okay, Well, one of the things that's often done frequently, especially during long surgeries, is that mask, it becomes kind of nasty and gnarly over time, and it is replaced, discarded, maybe multiple times during a surgery because it actually becomes a health risk for the person wearing it because all that bacteria that you're... <sighs> and all that built up in your mouth and everything, you're now re-breathing it. And those masks become gummy and gross and nasty, and they are replaced multiple times during a single surgery. And this is the problem with the mask mandates. They don't work, and they can't work based on the reality on the ground. And what you have is these idiots like... Newsom here, who's telling you you can't chant or sing at Thanksgiving because it increases the risk of COVID, which has about as much scientific backing as the idea of mask masking, which, again, has been tested. Twelve studies going back to 1947 never showed that they would work, ever. Again, gold standard level studies. Because when you create a public policy, you do not create a public policy based on nirvana based on perfection, based on things being done exactly right all the time. You base it on the preponderance of what people are actually going to do. And when you do that with a mask mandate, what you end up with is people wearing the mask, not cleaning the mask, wearing it over and over, shoving it in their pockets, shoving it in their glove box, and any minor reduction in spread that you might luckily get maybe 
is offset by increased respiratory problems and infections that come from this type of behavior. People don't wear their masks right. And then the, the pure is like, well, we'll just tell them to wear. And how's that work, Mr. Nose, out, out your mask? Right? I'm watching people drive around this weekend. I, I made the mistake of leaving my home. There's a moron driving with his beak sticking out of his mask by himself in his car. I don't know which one of those two things are more sad. One, your nose is your respiratory system, moron. Two, there's nobody else in your car. What are you doing? And I don't mean like out of a parking lot. I understand that some people, they get preoccupied. They walk to their car. They start driving away. They're still wearing their mask, and they don't realize it at first. I get that. No, you're talking about driving around the back roads in your car by yourself. These people have the same mindset of the people making these policies. And it is turned into a game of idiots, Simon says. And it's up to you what you want to do with that information, but I recommend that you stop paying attention to it. Next up, quick email here from Rick. Rick says, Item of the day, recommendation for Jack. Amazon currently has long-range shooting handbook by Ryan Kleckner on sale for $9.99. It's a fantastic book for people starting out in long-range shooting. and gives me a link. With over 3,000 reviews and a 4.8 rating, it is pretty popular. I know that you don't recommend items that you have not personally used. But I recommend this book as a firearms instructor and competitive shooter. It's useful uh, for hunters as well as competition shooters. Uh, thanks for all you do. Been listening for 10 years. Look forward to your show every day. Best, Rick. Rick, number one, thank you very much for reaching out. Thank you for listening to the show, and thank you for your kind words. You're right. I will not put up an item of the day recommendation for a product I haven't used, and I won't do that now. What I'll say, though, is it's 10 bucks. It's a book. It's on Amazon. So it's being recommended, so now you know. And in the show notes, there is a link to it. I'll probably pick up a copy and maybe through my winter downtime, actually get some time to read a book. And if I find that it is as valuable as you say it is, which it, I'm going to say it probably is, I'll add it to the collection of reviews on TSPAS. But no, I don't, I don't add them until I can actually be sure of that. And I also try to keep people informed when it comes to item of the day recommendations. And here is an email that went out to Nicole Sauce from Amazon Customer Service last this weekend about that awesome deal, $190 for the brushless combo set from DeWalt that sells for over $300. Um, greetings from Amazon.com, Nicole Sauce. We were unable to fulfill your order for the items listed below because they aren't available from the supplier any longer. As a result, we canceled them for your order, and your original payment method was cha wasn't charged. Uh, DeVault 20-volt Max XR Cordless Combo Kit Brushless 2. Um, I bring this up for a couple reasons. One, Nicole said she called Amazon and pitched a fit and bitched at them. Hey, this isn't right. You took my order, you said it was confirmed, and now you're saying you can't send it to me. And, hey, I looked up on DeWalt's website. They do, too, have this thing. They just want over $300 for it now. And they said, well... We're sorry. Um, there's nothing we can do. DeWalt refuses to ship it for that price at this point, and we can't make them. So um, we'll credit your account with five bucks. Five bucks is five bucks. Makes me think of this episode of The Simpsons, right? Where'd you get five bucks? I want five bucks. I sold my soul to Millhouse. Remember that one? Anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, so you, if, if this happened to you, you can get five bucks if you bitch, apparently. Um, However, don't mention that I told you that. Just call and bitch. Don't don't make me the center of anything 
into your complaints to Amazon, please. I, I prefer not. Uh, but if you ordered it and got it canceled, maybe you can get five bucks if you pitch fit about it, if you think it's worth five bucks. Um, I brought it up for a couple reasons. One, I told you last week when this thing went on sale, they ran some kind of hairy algorithm or something. It was going up and down and changing prices. And if you wanted the deal, get the deal while you could get the deal. I don't do that often when it comes to making recommendations on products on sale prices, do I? It happens a few times a year, like, hey, this is a hell of a deal. Get this before it's gone, especially when it's companies like DeWalt, uh, Excalibur Dehydrators, etc. These companies, they run these sales. They are incredibly tight on their control of their distribution system. Even companies like Home Depot, Lowe's, etc., you'll notice that DeWalt tools don't go on sale very often. They tell their distributors when they can mark down the product that they have, whether they offer them incentives for it or not. They're very big on protecting their, their street price. And so uh, a distributor only has a certain amount they can come off SR, MSRP other than these, you know, we shall allow it things or we shall not let you be a distributor anymore. That's, that's, and they're not the only company that does this. Mountain House, you know, the people who make the freeze-dried cans, number 10 cans of, like, pork chops and stuff, they do the same thing. You'll notice that, like, no matter where you get your Mountain House product from, they're all on sale at the same time when Mountain House decrees that you may now put Mountain House on sale. So when I tell you something like that, just know I ain't bullshitting. I don't do it just to try to – I mean, I don't make that much money selling product like this anyway. Amazon commissions are incredibly low. But – um Man, it's, uh, I try to make my item of the day recommendations a service to you so that you know when things go on sale or you just know the best thing you can get for the money in a product class, uh, unique items you wouldn't find anywhere else. And there you go, man. So if that happened, and, and, and I see that happen with DeWalt often where I'll see that you know 40 were bought, but I only get credit for 20, and that's because those other 20 get kicked back like this. They have some limit per sale and once they hit that number they call it and I guess there can be some sort of error with the communication with the Amazon algorithm or something I, I don't know but just guys when I tell you something like that no it's true uh, next up on that um, or moving on from there like I said last week somewhere sometime someplace I said something about cryptocurrency and privacy coins etc and Monero And right now, probably the best privacy coin is Monero, ticker symbol XMR. And uh, it, it's, it, it's impossible for it to be tracked right now. Like I said, ticker symbol is XMR, spelling on it M-O-N-E-R-O, -E Monero. Um, it is... It's its own thing within cryptocurrency. It, it, it was kind of... A unique approach was taken to creating it so that... Basically, if I send you Monero or you send me Monero, the only way anybody can know that that Monero went to me from you or you to me is if we tell them. And it's done in such a way that if we wanted to prove it was done, we can prove it, but only if we want to. And so anybody looking at the public blockchain or whatever can't t tell hiding or hair of nothing. It's not like Bitcoin where once this transaction is known, then every other transaction attached to it. It doesn't work that way. Uh, and I won't get into the cryptography and, and, and what the technology behind it and how it's done. Just know that it, it is that way. And it is it has even been some of the the exchanges 
that play ball with the government have delisted it because the government hates it. So you know it works, right? Um, now, I, I believe that intelligently used Bitcoin can be fairly anonymous. Bitcoin Cash can, if you're smart about how and what you do, especially if you're taking direct transactions. But truly anonymous transactions need to be done with privacy coins like Dash with coin mixing or Monero. When I said it will be like child's play in the near future, I didn't mean somebody reached out to me from the super deep secret cryptocurrency project and told me, hey, we're about to beat out Monero to be even more private. What, what I meant is this is the, the trajectory of the cryptocurrency world. Now, here's an example of a coin that was a little bit before its time, but I believe was made from a Monero fork. Okay, so it forked off Monero, and I could be wrong about that. I think that's where it came from. It was called Eon. A-E-O-N was the ticker symbol. It's still there, and it's 35 cents or something like that. And one of the things, they it's also a privacy coin, and it, it I think it uses the same type of privacy features that Monero does. So it, it, it works already that way. But it was designed to not be exploitable by GPU miners so that there could be a cryptocurrency that could be mined with, with good old-fashioned, like back-in-the-day CPU mining, um, the way that Bitcoin was when it first came out. And it was actually really easy to do if you knew what to do. And uh, so they came out with this tech, and, and one of the things that it did to make that work is it would only respond to the miners at a set speed. And so if you were there pounding on it with a GPU, or, you know, GPUs are kind of outdated for most crypto now, but uh, at higher level tech, it wouldn't matter. It was like trying to suck water through a hole, and you can't expand the hole. Only so much water will go through that hole. And unfortunately for Eon, I think... Number one, they didn't have any real horsepower behind them. Their project just didn't go nowhere. Like They didn't make it better. They just put it out. Um, and they never talked publicly to anybody or anything. I thought it was a great currency because you could mine it with CPUs, and I mined a whole bunch of it and converted it to Bitcoin. Um, but it really didn't have another value point. You can mine it with a CPU. And they were in, um, what the hell is that call where you can mine cryptocurrency with a little piece of software? I don't remember. I promoted it for a while as the way you could mine your own cryptocurrency. I can't think of the name of the company. There's a company that like anybody can mine with. You download this little software thing, and you select the coin that you want to mine, and it just starts mining. And they were in that, and then they disappeared from that, and that really was kind of the end of them. But that type of thinking, one way we can counter counter-technology is to make the counter-technology not work. Since you can't pull it out, since you can't mine faster... You can't mine faster. So since you can't mine faster, it doesn't matter what you use. Now, you could use a couple hundred thousand CPUs on it, hitting it all from different you know, different workers is the way they look at it in mining, and that might help you, but you can't just turn up some big badass piece of equipment on this thing and dominate and control the sector. You'd have to do it with, with raw numbers individually. And... Uh, That's just one example. I, I foresee this type of cryptography, and it won't just be in blockchain that it will be used in the future.
it will work kind of the way that book code works today. Book code is the most difficult code to break that we know of, and it's as low-tech as it gets because it never repeats and it's impossible to sort without having the exact book. And the way it would work is you and I decide we want to start communicating in book code. So we go to maybe uh, Barnes and Nobles if those guys are still around. You know those big tables they have out with you know classic works of Edgar Allan Poe po and Romeo and Juliet or you know the complete works of Shakespeare and they're like $10 books and they're like paperback and they're just they're just designed to, to fill space and, and sell to people that want something like that, right? And we buy 20 different books. We buy the exact same books on the exact same day. I take half of them and you take half of them. And so we both have that collective works of Edgar Allan Poe. And I send you a message. And let's say the first thing on it is 237.35. And that would mean then if we've agreed to it going in, because there's different orders we could put it in and it could mean different things, which is another variable. But in the most straightforward thing, that would mean if you turn to page 237.45, so on two, page 237, go to Word 45, and then take that word and write it down. And then in your book, cross that off. Put a line through it. So that way, when you send me a message back, if you're using that book, you'll never use that one again, so it will never repeat. And then the next one would be something like 156.11. So page 156, word 11. Now the thing is, we also have another way that we communicate with each other as to what one book you're supposed to use. Because there's 10 of them, remember? We bought 20 books, 10 of, 10 of each. Right? And uh, I'm sorry, we bought 20 books, two of each book, right? And so even if we had one book, it would be very difficult if, if, if no one knew what the book was. But if we number the books, we just make an arbitrary number of the books, 1 through 10, and we just write, so we don't forget, we just write on the inside cover 1 through 10. Then we can get even more complicated because we can do 2, 137, 12. Book 2, page 137, word 12. 9, 1, 12, 11. See how that goes, and you, you have to keep switching between books and crossing those numbers out. And eventually, if the books became unusable, you would replace them with a new group of books. This is almost impossible for anybody to break, because even if they knew you were using the complete works of Edgar Allan Poe, okay, fine, which one? The leather-embossed copy that's in the library? The reprinted one that's in, you know, a fake looking leather back or the one from the Barnes and Noble book table that was edition 500 or 300 or 12. I don't know. See how that works. Even if you had the right book, unless you have the same edition, it doesn't work. And what this is doing is allowing both sides to change the nature of the code every time in a way that's irrelevant to anything outside of it and can't be seen. Where cryptography is going is a world in which the two sides randomly switch yet are in sync. So when I send this message to you today at 1.07 p.m., 
your side of the cipher knows which decryption to use at that time. But if you send me a message, you send me that message, I send you a message back two minutes later, the decryption has already altered, but it's altered in a way where both sides know the alteration, but the alteration doesn't exist in the middle. There's nowhere for it to be intercepted. And I, I'm not going to get into how that would work. And it might sound like Star Star Trek level shit. And indeed, there's even been discussions of it in some Star Trek episodes, especially like alternate universe ones and stuff like that. However, there was also flip phones in the 1960s that were Star Trek communicators. This stuff always is kind of forecasting of where we're headed. And 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 I know that might be above some of y'all's level of not maybe understanding, but level of giving a shit. But it's important to understand because cryptocurrency is not going away. And the government can't win this war. They can't. They can't because you have thousands upon thousands of people sitting in basements and garages that they're competing against, all with completely unique and different ideas. On that note, I wanted to let you know that there is a place that you can spend cryptocurrency. It's called Spendabit. Uh, I like again. I like the name. Spend a bit, and uh, there's a link in the show notes today. I've added a link to spend a bit to tspaz.com, and in theory, if you use that link and purchase something with cryptocurrency, at some point, I should get paid uh, as a referral in some level of cryptocurrency, which I'm not sure about yet. If that's going to happen, I am talking to them, and they are like, "Hello, yeah, we want to talk to you." We haven't really built up the affiliate thing that much because we haven't had any really serious affiliates, so we'll see where that goes. But I, I, whether or not it helps me, I want you to know that it exists. I would say this: if you do use Spend a Bit and you do buy something and you use my link, I would like to know about it. And I don't need a whole bunch of people, but if like one or two, and I can just say, "Hey, guys, um, what's up?" Here's this thing that happened, and where's where, where's my money, right? <laughs> and we'll see if it's worth promoting or not, because I do want to expand TSPAS a bit as a portal. I'm looking at some other options. I really wasn't even thinking about it from a standpoint of a cryptocurrency-specific thing, but when I came across this weekend, I was like, that's pretty cool. It's a great way. Because people say, well, where do I spend my cryptocurrency? Well, here, and it's, again, like you can buy stuff from Overstock, um, by the way, it's it's. I said com. It's not it's not spendabit.com. It's spendabit.co.co, and basically it's a portal. And you go there, and it's a short search box, and you can search for whatever you're looking for. And again, there's big name companies. There's clearly small name companies there. They're looking for people to partner with them, and you can apply as well. I don't think it would do me any good or matter that you applied through my link, but if you're a if you're a seller. And you're you're doing business online, and you'll accept cryptocurrency. You, know, you can get listed in their thing, and I'll say their site probably needs some work. Um, but again, I'm talking directly to them at this point. We'll see where it goes from here. But you might want to just check them out again. Spendabit.co. Someone also told me about uh, a company called Purse.io that basically lets you shop with cryptocurrency on Amazon. And I'm going to take a look at that. It looks like they have an affiliate program. I might add that to TSPAS as well. But I am definitely looking to kind of expand the ways that uh, I can help you guys help me uh, through making good recommendations of good places to do your online shopping uh, for the things you know you, you need in your life that you're going to buy. And one of the things that I 
I'm talking about with spend a bit is, well, please understand the way I sell stuff is I find the best thing, and then I explain why it's the best thing, and I say you can get it here, and then some people do. And uh, if all I'm doing is sending you top-level traffic to search for stuff, um, I'm kind of coasting, right? I'm relying on you to do all the selling, and I'm just taking traffic that might have been going to you anyway. Uh, so help me help you. So we'll we'll continue to kind of develop things from here. Uh, and uh, if you have any suggestions for places that you think it might make sense for me to reach out to into working with in this type of capacity, let me know. So um, one really interesting thing is the complete resistance to this in some people's minds and a belief that cryptocurrency itself is a scam. It's going to go away. It's tulip mania. So all I do is put this little thing and said, hey, did you know there's this site that you can spend cryptocurrency on? And, for, so, so, and this was on Parlor. Run! Don't walk! Run away from cryptocurrency! And I was like, you know, uh, when I first started mentioning Bitcoin and said it was probably a good idea to buy some, it was $14. It was $14. Litecoin was under a buck. Ethereum was like a dollar or something like that. I don't know. Some people did. They're not angry with me. And if you're waiting for tulip mania to crash, it to be hacked, whatever, uh, well, I think we're looking at 13 years or something like that. I can you? Uh, tulip mania lasted like six months. I'm sorry if you don't understand this, but it's not going to change because you don't understand it. And then the, the, the thing is always, well, if they shut the Internet off, you're screwed. If they shut the Internet off, you're screwed. Well, no shit. So are you. I hope, you know, cash is screwed. The banks are screwed. Credit cards are screwed. Everything electronic and, and it's run by, they're not going to shut the Internet off. And by the way, we can actually move and transfer and hold cryptocurrency without the Internet, but I'm not going to go there. It doesn't matter. When you come up with that objection, like, do you use a bank? Yeah, well, you're screwed. You know? Let me use cash. They're, hey, they're going to get rid of cash before they get rid of cryptocurrency, folks. Cash is going to go like, you want to know how cash is going to go? Here, Spirko Domus strikes again. When they come out with FedCoin, and they will, They will take the serialized numbers that they know every single one for every bill ever printed that's currently in circulation, and they will attach those serial numbers to a Fed coin that represents that $1, $5, $20, $100 bill. Okay? Follow me. That's not even hard to do. They're all unique, and they're all known. They were all put out by the Mint. So you've got a Ben Franklin with serial number XYZPDQ on it, and you're going to spend it. Now, you give it to Tom. That will stay between you and Tom. Uh, that's not going to change. But the main place you spend money is between you and Tom. It's between you and Walmart or you and, you know, Sheboyganville Express or Chinese Express or whatever. What they will do is they will come out with a requirement. It will be phased in over a year or two so it doesn't stop the world. You can keep collecting cash. That's no problem. That's no problem. You're going to have to get one of these here thingamabobs. That's a... Technical name for this thing. It's called Thingamabob. Crypto Thingamabob Converter System Thingy. And what they're going to say is whenever you accept cash at your point of business, you're going to have to stick it in the Crypto Thingamabob, and it will read the serial numbers, and it will account for it and start tracking it. And if you need some of it back to give in change, well, you won't need to do that because the person can spend cash, and you can just give them change in the form of FedCoin credits. And maybe they will, for a time, let you actually give change change. True, Combia, right? 
uh, but that will have to be accounted for as well and be part of the point-of-sale record. And then, you know, this is great because right now what happens is you you get all your dollars and cents and you put them in one of those little bags and then you have to get your 357 Magnum and slink off to the bank to make those large cash deposits that businesses have to make. By the way, that's a real thing. Businesses that do lots of business in cash that need to put that into their their systems, that's what they do. They, they go to the bank with cash as indescriptly as they can and quickly get it into the bank. My father ran a gas station in the 70s and 80s. It's exactly what he did. Cash is great, but there's a certain, you know, we need certain amounts of money coming into our business. So, like, buy more gas, buy more tires, buy more supplies, pay employees. So, we need to get the cash into the banking system. Well, now with the crypto thingamabob module that slides into the crypto thingamabob, the money will go in there and be locked in there. If somebody steals it, it will already be on deposit with your FedCoin account. You're just turning the box in to the banking system. If it gets stolen or whatever, we'll just let you keep your credits, Mr. Merchant, and make all those bills evaporate. And, and, well, that's actually not a problem because that's really the plan anyway. So as this takes over, just more and more cash will just disappear. People will just won't have it. Every time you spend it out of your cash stash, it'll just go away. But you're worried about cryptocurrency. You're worried about the solution instead of the problem. All right, fine. Move along, Skippy. That's fine. Hold your breath. That's okay. The rest of us, we got with this a long time ago, and we have options already that you don't. And it's not like we don't have cash. It's not like we don't have dollars. right? It's not like we don't have credit cards. We also have cryptocurrency and the ability to do business that way. We also have the ability to do business but gold and silver. Yeah, we probably have that too. People that take one approach to this, if that approach fails, are the ones that are going to get screwed. And most of the people... Shit-talking cryptocurrency have nothing. Nothing. They're 100% invested in the banking system. They have 401k plans, and they think we're the ones taking the big risk by using a form of currency that works between independent parties with no intermediary. Yeah, we're the one taking the risk. Okay. Uh, next up, hey, if you want to be get into the cryptocurrency world, I think Coinbase is a great place to start. I don't think it's a good place to stay. But it's a good place to get some cryptocurrency so that you can at least get in the game. Remember, if you decide to do that, go to the survivalpodcast.com and use the Coinbase banner there. Uh, and when you put $100 worth of Bitcoin in your Coinbase account after you set it up, you'll get an extra $10 in Bitcoin and so will I. All right. Next up, feedback on commercial real estate crash in a way that you may not... Well, you may not really see the connection at first as I start reading this. This comes from, we'll call him Michael. It's not his name, but he doesn't want his name given out for obvious reasons here. And he thinks that some of y'all might know exactly who I'm talking about if I gave just his first name. So I just made up a name, Michael, because I know lots of Michaels, and it's the one that's not him. It says, remote work is happening, and the commercial real estate impact could be huge. This note was spurred by the two-part show you did last week with John Pugliano. It's concrete information of your suppositions. Sorry for the long note, but there are a few aspects I wanted to address. He's talking to me and John here. As you both know, I work for a Fortune 500 company. We are a slow-moving, ultra-conservative company. We just announced that we're going back to the office. Uh, we're not going back to the office until at least June 2021. We've been saving on O&M, facility maintenance and travel. Employees are happy and frequently working more 
uh, more product productivity than they were at the office. What I've confirmed via my internal Intel network is that we are developing a remote work policy that basically puts all office personnel in fully remote category. We intend to implement prior to the June date and never go back to the office. After the initial policy is put in place, we then intend to collapse our office real estate footprint by at least 75%, converting our core buildings into primarily meeting spaces, eliminating leases at multiple locations, and capitalizing on the few remaining locations. In addition to the reduction in offices, we're going to implement a range from our territory, not yet determined, but three to six hours where people can live. Even our office workers have been able to get into geography uh, to respond to storms. That means... Uh, Even our office workers have to be able to get into our geography to respond to storms. That means there will also be an impact to residential real estate at very high-paid professionals no longer need to be near our corporate centers. If we, as in an old-school company, are moving this way, others will be too. This could be a massive real estate impact coming very soon. Keep your powder dry. Um, this is interesting, and he says in a P.S., A six-hour radius around my territory puts you anywhere. Um, I don't really want to give away the exact look. You know what? It doesn't matter. G good luck. Uh, from San Antonio, Fort Worth, to west to near Chicago, east to Atlanta, the Florida panhandle. Um, wife and I are discussing maybe Florida uh, once we move and some other things. Um, do you get that? Like, that's a pretty big circle that you can pick from. It's like 50% of the United States. This is not just what I said about remote work and commercial real estate. It's, res it's residential real estate. It is a complete shift in how our economy works. It is one of many reasons that I believe, 100% believe, that the economic turmoil in the next four years is going to be awful. And it's why I think Donald Trump will end up winning re-election this week, although you might not know it for sure for another week or two or three or maybe even until around Christmas time, depending on how long the court bottles take. But the, the, the technocrats had already planned for that, and the only thing that threw a monkey wrench in the whole thing was the COVID curveball. Because they don't want to be holding the bag. But now what you got is a third-string team that's supposed to lose the game that doesn't know they're supposed to lose, and the other team pulled all their starters too because they're going to the playoffs. Okay, the analogy kind of ends there. But you get that. Like, this is what's going on when it comes to this thing. You got the left putting up Biden, a terrible candidate. The, the, the Babylon Bee put out a story today. He said he's polling really well. For those that don't know, Babylon B is satire. Please understand that. But Biden's doing really well with Pentecostals because he's always speaking in tongues. I near lost my mind when I read that. It was so damn funny. Especially with his recent, some of his recent, and he doesn't even know what jacket he's wearing, and he thinks he's a grandma instead of a grandpa. So, yeah. Um, that was the plan. They were supposed to lose. He's the left's freaking John McCain or Mitt Romney, like, The right knew they weren't winning. They threw them up to look like legitimate candidates, but they knew they had no chance. And the right immediately began playing for 2016. Really did. I know that's how, why do you think I said before Barack Obama was elected, the next time you'll see a Republican in the White House is 2016. 
and not you might. No, you will. Because the, the tea leaves were easy to read because the tea leaves had been arranged into words if you looked at them. Right? That's where we're at with this now. But now what happens? And the answer is I don't know. I'm, I'm 90% on a Trump win, but I see this country turning to full-on socialism. Full-on socialism by 2024. And I actually think, I know this sounds crazy, but a Biden win may actually push that back. And I say may, not definitely will. But that leads me to my last segment today. All right, so that's what leads me to my final segment today. And for those of you guys watching on uh, video on the Internet, this is a final segment. Well, the second to final segment. There's a little brief comedy segment at the end of the day. Uh, but the final segment of episode 2765, which is a topic roundtable discussion for November 2nd, 2020 at the survivalpodcast.com. Uh, I've been doing that podcast for 12 years. You might like it if you're watching the videos, so check it out. Everybody out, it's out there, just listen to the podcast from here on out. We'll just be talking to y'all the same way. So I just finished up a segment, uh, on, The shift to remote work, I just talked about cryptocurrency. I talked about the plans for the election and the plan to lose by the left that turned into the plan to maybe win because of the COVID curveball. And I want to kind of talk about where this is all going. And I want to revisit what I've been saying heavily this year. But I, you know, for people that are new to me and think I'm like saying run away or something, you're not understanding me. I've been saying to get out of the cities since 2008, and I've not been talking about running off in the middle of Bob Marshall Wilderness and becoming a hobo or something like that. I've been talking about getting out of these flashpoint cities and getting out of places where you're not able to do the things that you want to do. With the amount of violence this year, I've ramped up that call because not only do you have physical risk to your person and safety in these cities now, but that's the minor thing. Your, your businesses and your properties are being devalued and will continue to be devalued by all of this. And COVID's killing the dying. It's accelerated all of these megatrends that I've been talking about, again, on air, over 2,700 episodes of the podcast since 2008. I've been saying the same thing, and it's only become more true over time. Today we talked about how... A major corporation has everybody working remotely, and they're already planning on going back until June next year, and they're not going back. They have internal communication saying it's not going to happen. They're shutting down 75% of their commercial real estate, and all of their highly paid employees are moving from big cities to small towns, leaving behind the element of, of, of the parasite in these cities. It's all getting worse. And what that means is... As, as lopsided as voting is in Los Angeles or San Francisco, etc., all this migration is going to make it more so. All of you people that are still worried, those liberals are going to come to your town and screw it up. No, they're not. Texas is not going to vote Democrat this time, but it will. It probably will in 2024. And me voting won't change that. Me yelling and screaming won't change that. I'm looking at the trend. And this is... The big thing when I say get out and get into defensible position, I think some of you don't understand what I mean by defensible. I'm not talking about being able to take people out with your AR-15 or your AK-47 or, if you're smart, an AR-10, right? I'm not talking about that. A little bit, but not really. 
you can defend yourself with a firearm anywhere. Now, the results are not guaranteed, both in the battlefield and in the legal field. But when I say defensible, I'm really talking more about being able to live the way you want to live. And this is what you, you guys have to understand this. And until you do, you will never focus on the actual problem and you will never realize basically how screwed we are with the trend in this country moving towards socialism and what the actual solution is going to involve. It's going to be your individual adaptation. It's going to be our forming of our own networks and resources, etc., to exist as much as we can apart from this system while it destroys itself, because we know it will. Because everywhere socialism goes, it destroys itself eventually. And, and we're not going to be immune to this. And the problem is not that liberals from California move to Idaho and turn it into liberal land. This is just another example of, of two things the right has a big problem with that it doesn't want to fix. One, fear of immigrants, and two, thinking short-term. The left is much better than the right at thinking long-term, which is why they have won in the long game 100% of the time in modern history. None of you have seen the right win long-term. None of you. Trump won. Not the right winning long term. What about Reagan? Not the right winning long term. You mean the guy that brought us the biggest tax increase the United States has ever had? The left wins long term because the left thinks long term. The, the right occasionally wins short term because the right thinks short term. And that leads to this misunderstanding about where liberals come from. I've said this before, but cities are liberal factories. Cities make liberals. And that would be one thing, but they're not making liberals anymore. Now they're making true leftists. They're making Marxists. They're making socialists. That's something that changed over time. Cities used to make liberals. Now they make full-on leftists. And they're not, that's not the same thing. We won't get into that today. How do I know this? Because I watch it happening in my own family. That's how I know this. I have a brother and sister-in-law, two of the most conservative people you will ever meet, and they are the people that they do their duty and they vote because they believe in it. They're that type of person. They voted straight-ticket Republican, both of them, since the day they were old enough to vote, and there was an election to vote in. They don't miss any elections. Special elections, primaries, general elections, midterm elections, runoff elections. That's their civic duty. They show up. Conservative? How conservative are they? These people do not miss a Sunday at church. They raise their children in the church. Are they native Texans? Both of them are. Both of them were born and raised in Texas. Sister-in-law, her family moved here before she was born. Her, her parents were immigrants from over in Europe that came here after the Second World War. And her grandparents, were, or her parents, right, were, were two of the most patriotic Americans you would ever meet. Her father put that American flag up in his front yard every day till he couldn't do it anymore. And that's one side of the family. The other side of the family, brother-in-law's side, His parents are from here. His grandparents moved to Texas, had them here, so they're multi-generation as well. So that's the lineage coming down to my niece and nephew, the brother-in-law, sister-in-law's children. They're smart kids. My nephew is in his last year of law school. Smart kid, recruited aggressively by some of the top law schools in the country and going to school for almost no money out of his own pocket due to scholarships, purely academic. Uh, the, my niece is at A&M in pre-veterinary medicine. Smart kids. Dummies go to college all the time. 
they don't do that. Okay. Both of them are flaming liberals now. Both of them. Flaming liberals. Mourning the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who they just think was wonderful. Why? Because cities create leftists. They're leftist factories. It gets worse. The main way they create leftists is in schools inside the cities. Now, this is happening in Podunkville as well. It's just worse in the cities. There's more peer pressure, and they get away with more. It all works out this way. It gets worse, though. My sister-in-law, she's a school teacher. She's creating liberals. Right now, can't see it, because I'm a conservative. Are you following the lesson plan that they give you? Well, I have to. Then you're creating liberals. Brother-in-law, he's a cop. He's a good cop. Really. Enforcing liberal policies. Why? Got to. It's my job. If these people have their children growing up becoming liberals, and again, they're not even liberals. They're leftists. They're Marxists. They're socialists. And you think that the problem is liberals are coming from California. You do not understand the problem because you're thinking short term. Why do you think the left went after the education system? Because they think long term. They're not thinking about this next election or even the one after it. They're thinking about a 100-year cycle. How do we move from where we are to where we want to be over a 100 years? And that's why they're winning. You're mad at me now. You're screaming. You're probably typing angry comments into YouTube or something like that. But I'm not wrong. Look at all the long-term fights that the right had. They've lost every one of them. We got tax cuts. That's a short-term win. Look at from a policy standpoint. It, I'm not saying they're better policies. I'm not saying I'm for them. I'm saying they're winning. And they're winning because you convert the children when they're young. You indoctrinate them when they're young. How do you do that? You destroy the family unit. That makes it easier to do. You put them into debt, specifically student loan debt, and then you promise to fix the problems you caused them. And you blame the problems on their parents. But as we've seen, even if the parents are like the perfect textbook family, loving parents that raise their children the right way, in the church for God's sakes, who have still have great relationships with their children, the indoctrination system is too strong. And this leads me to the other part of this segment, defensible position. You cannot be in a major city today and expect that it will get any better anytime soon, but you can bet that it will get worse. With whatever you're opposed to, if you're opposed to leftism, whether you're like me and, and you're a voluntarist and you're not part of the dichotomy, but you don't want the problems that the left brings, or whether you are a right-wing, ultra-uber-conservative that believes in good conservative values and you think you want that, the thing is, people like me, we don't give a shit what you want. You can have whatever you want if you leave us alone. That's all we ask to be is left alone. We'll solve our own problems. We don't need your help. That's why we like you more than we like the people on the left. 
in general, people on the right are content to leave you alone. The left is not content to leave you alone. The only way that you can strategically position yourself into a defensible position right now, number one, get out of any major city. That does not mean you can't live anywhere near it, but you better not live in anything that actually is it, which includes the direct suburbs. If you can open one window on one side of your house and spit really hard and hit your neighbor's house and go to the other side and do that again, and there's a major city near you, that you can drive to really, really quickly, and you're kind of underneath their government, even if you have some autonomy, get out. Whatever freedom you have that's left, it will be destroyed by Karens and Kyles and homeowners associations and local governance and Agenda 21, which is now Agenda 2030, and all of this shit. And your nation is going to swing in a megatrend to the left. Because it has been for a hundred years, and there's no reason to believe that it'll change now. And you've been focused on worried about Bill and Tom moving together as a gay couple from San Francisco is your problem while they've indoctrinated your children while they were living under your freaking roof. And it's too late to fix it because you didn't ever want to see it while it was happening, and you still don't believe me when I'm telling you it now. The one thing you can do is go to places that have the least amount of reach from the hydra that is these major cities... And when I say defensible position, I mean able to live a life the way that you want to live it without interference from those as much as is reasonably possible. And you need to understand that these people are going to focus on the 80% of people who will never do that. It's too hard to get your arms around all these little pockets of resistance out there. Doesn't matter. You're just going to take over all these metro areas and then force as many people into them as possible. And you know what you're going to get? A nation as big as the United States with little Switzerlands throughout it. Little places where you can be not completely left alone. They'll never leave you alone, Jack. I understand that. And there is a point where if you push me far enough, I will put a bullet in your forehead. Please don't think that I'm like some kind of peacenik that doesn't have that point in my life that I will reach. Okay? And don't think that I think I'll be able to do anything I want at all, period, at infinium. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is not having the complete and total tentacles wrapped around you. And places like I live and places like I'm describing, they will become the Switzerlands. Kind of neutral territories. And you know what's going to happen to the real estate in places like that? You ain't going to be able to afford it. Because what does it mean when you get to that point... And people are like, man, I want to get out of here. And it's not as simple as it is right now. And those places become more and more desirable. They, If you go to the right place, you're not going to just keep building new houses there. That's the whole point. You don't want a place where that's going to happen. You don't want a place built on growth. You want a place built on the value of people being left alone. That don't give two shits what their neighbor does. Those places are going to be going out of the reach financially of the average person very, very soon. Even if you have a good remote gig. Why? Because when something is rare, it goes up in price. And this is, this is why you've always been told that real estate is a good investment. They ain't making no more dirt. Now, we know about soil building and all that in the world of permaculture, but I'm not talking about it that way. I'm talking about from the meaning, the way that thing was meant when it's been said. First time I heard that, I probably was 12 years old. And I'm an old fart now. Look at how much gray is in this beard. I ain't making any more dirt. That means there ain't no more of it. 
Sure, we can build houses, build buildings, etc. But when it comes to a block of dirt, an area, yeah, they even try what they're trying to make uh, Dubai try to build that whole you know like town on islands that they made and it's all falling apart and shit. Yeah, that sci-fi shit ain't working out real well. It's going to become harder and harder to get yourself out of these places in the future and to move to what I'm calling a defensible position. But please understand that the cities and their schools are liberal factories. They're leftist factories. It's not people coming from somewhere else that you have to be afraid of. Now, I'm sure the person that moves from San Francisco to Austin is not helpful. That person is going to move anyway. It's called a republic. You're so proud of it until it doesn't work in your, in, to your advantage. That's just people moving from one city to another. When you got these people that are tired of this shit and they're moving out of these sinking ships and they're moving out in the country to be left alone, they're not your problem. And it doesn't matter if like half of them are and half of them aren't, whatever. This doesn't matter. It is what it is. It's human nature. We move around. Your problem is the manufacturing center. So you're worried about, hey, you know what? They just imported a truckload of leftists last month. They brought a whole truckload of leftists in, backed it up, and unloaded them with a forklift and put them off in our ecosystem. And you're not looking at the freaking, you know, 500 truckloads of them that they just fabricated and manufactured in a factory in your backyard. So y'all go on. Y'all tell me, stay where you are, stay where you are. None of you people saying that ever live in any of these places. You want other people to stay on their sinking ships. Get out, get out, get out. And get your kids out. That's my last piece on this segment. Get your children out of the government school system. Because you can do everything right. You can teach them 100% right. You can teach them that government is not their friend, and they won't believe you. By the time they come out of the other end of that system, it will do exactly what it was designed to do. It will indoctrinate them, and it will teach your children that you are the problem. It's what they're doing right now. You have within you the ability to withdraw them from that system and educate them at home or some other alternative right now. And you can give me all the excuses you want about, I can't do it because you don't understand. If your child was in a burning building, I'm pretty sure you'd pull a wet towel over your head, charge in there, and pull them out. And you wouldn't give a shit what it costs you. You would do it. All right. You figure it out from there. Uh, again, you guys can check out this segment on thesurvivalpodcast.com and the rest of the episode, episode 2765. Uh, by following the link in these video notes. Uh, coming back around now with something a little bit humorous. I wanted to share this with you guys because, well, it's, it's, it's a backdoor look into the Spirico household. And as I said, uh, there's the Geico commercial where they say we all do dumb things. And, and we do, including me. But, you know, everybody looks a window once in a while, man. It happens. You get a little Windex overdose and, you know, move on. Uh, but we all also sometimes say some stupid things. And here's an example of that for me. So time changed this weekend. And, of course, Sunday was an hour back, and I got out of bed. And I usually get up around 6, 37 o'clock most days, just when I feel like it. And uh, I ended up getting up really early, like probably six, um, and didn't realize it because the time changed. 
So I made coffee and all and farted around like I do. And my wife, who you know wants to get her 18 hours of sleep a day, seems like sometimes, got up fairly early for herself as well. But I had been farting around for a while. And she forgot about the time change. So she had just gotten her coffee. I had my second cup. We we're sitting on the couch. And I looked at the clock. And I'm like, man, i got to go let the ducks out. She goes, what time is it? I said, well, it's barely 7. And she said, they can wait. Drink your coffee. And I said, no, it's not fair to them. Ducks don't understand time travel. And she looked at me like, what did you say? Ducks don't understand time travel. And I just looked at her and said, I heard it. You know what I meant. And I went to go let the ducks out. Ducks don't understand time travel. But, you know, I defend that with, it's not untrue. Ducks don't understand time travel. And I'm sure there's a lot of you guys have had some, you know, kind of funny things like that happen around uh, going away from daylight savings time. Just a little bit of seriousness, or I don't know if it's even serious, just a little point to make here. Whenever this happens every year, I see people, I hate the daylight savings time. No, that's what you've been on. This is normal time. We have time traveled back to normal time, and it makes me think, I don't remember who the uh, Native American chief was that supposedly said this, but one time, this this this, you know, this is a long time ago, you know, when they first came up with this brilliant idea to make the days longer, and he, he didn't understand what the hell they were doing, you know? So they told him, and he said, only a white man would think you could cut the bottom off a blanket, sew it back on the top of the blanket, and end up with a longer blanket. But my bigger thing with this is if the government can change time and people will accept it, what can't they do? Just something else to think about tying into my last segment. With that, let's wrap things up. Let me remind you, we talked a little bit about this already, Debbie. You can always help support the show and the work that we do by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com where you see all the things that I recommend, all the reviews that I've done. I own it, I use it, I bought it, or I wouldn't recommend it to you myself. Uh, today's item of the day is one that I, I kind of don't want to tell you about it. My own selfish reasons. It is the, uh, the Turkish grape pruning knife. And it actually is basically a folding rice knife, a folding serrated sickle. This thing is awesome. I found it in August. I brought it to you. And in half a day, every single one of them on Amazon was gone. They all sold out. This is why I kind of don't want to tell you about it now. And the reason is that I have two of them in addition to the one that I use all the time. And I was going to put them on the barter blanket at the workshop. And I was going to say, and you can't get them. They're sold out. They've been sold out since August. And then last week, uh, they came back in stock. So they're now available. So maybe if I could sell them all out again, which probably won't happen, um, Maybe then they would go back to being valuable. Probably everybody that wants one that's coming to the workshop will have bought one by then anyway. Well, I'm going to play with mine and do some cool things to them, seal the handles and blue the blades and stuff, and maybe that will make them a little more desirable. Uh, but this thing is really great. It has become the single most useful tool in my day-to-day -day gardening other than a trowel. It is basically, like, like again, it's like a rice knife. It is a serrated carbon steel blade, kind of a lightweight build. It's not an overbuilt thing. And the way you use it is you grab onto whatever you want to cut or prune or trim. You lay the blade against it, and you, you use a sawing motion, drawing it against the plant, and it cuts through like a like knife, hot knife through butter. It just works beautifully. If you actually you know understand serrations mean move the blade, don't chop the blade. 
It offers a lot of advantages. One, I've, I've always liked rice knives because of the same reason. The serrated blade means you do have to move the blade. You know what doesn't happen? You don't grab that big, uh, that big thing of weeds that you want to cut out or those, the, something you want to trim back and chop it and miss and chop the tip of your finger off because it doesn't work that way. And so if you lay it against your finger, you should probably feel that and not move it. And, you know, we all do dumb things, but hopefully not that dumb. And if you do start to cut yourself with it, unless you have an IQ of like three, you probably, ow, that hurts and stop. But once you've chopped, you've chopped. And then plants as well. Let's say you're trying to, there's some big old clump of grass. This is the kind of thing I use it for. Big old clump of grass you missed when it started growing in your garden, becoming a weed. And it's growing like right up underneath an eggplant. And if you pull it out, you're going to uproot your eggplant, so you don't want to do it. So you go in there, and you chop it, and you accidentally chop into the stalk of your eggplant. Yes, it's happened. Uh, oops. Where if you're using this knife, it's precision. It doesn't happen. The biggest thing about it, though, is it folds up like a big pocket knife. You know what that's important for? Well, I tend to lose rice knives, which is why I like the fact that they're cheap, because they don't go in a pocket, and I've never seen a belt sheet for one worth a damn. So what happens is you set it down, and then you leave it out, and then it rusts, it goes bad, you lose it, you misplace it, etc. With this thing, it folds up and goes back in your pocket. It's really cool. Everybody that got one loved one loved them. And I don't know how many. The company that makes them is called Glittering Bazaar. I don't think they make them. They, in, they import them from Turkey. Last thing on this thing. I did some research on the pattern. Even though they're very hard to get in the United States, I assume you can just get them anywhere in Turkey. They've been around for like a thousand years, built pretty much the same way. Do you know why? Because they work. And that's what they're used mostly for burying and grapes. Uh, berries and grapes, for, printing, for, for picking and pruning uh, of uh, berry and uh, grapevines. Just an awesome little tool, 19 bucks. If you do want one, I recommend you get it because I don't know, you know how many they have in stock and I don't know... When they'll be back, they could be back for good now. Maybe they brought in a couple thousand of them or something. Uh, maybe they got a hundred in stock. If they got a hundred in stock, I wouldn't be surprised if they were gone by the end of the week after I put this out. So definitely consider getting one. And I will, I will say this. I think they're a cool little project too. It's a, it's a kind of a low end wood. It could be sanded. It could be stained. It could be sealed. I'm going to use some Birchwood KC Perma Blue on mine and, and blue the steel. Um, just, uh, interesting little thing maybe to play around with uh, going into your winter months and definitely a great gardening tool. Great for harvesting greens, too. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Let me... Uh, let me. Uh, oh, wow. That was a weird... Like, I had a Joe Biden moment there. Anyway, let's wrap things up with our song of the day today. Uh, we are starting Waylon Jennings Week. Today's song is one of my favorite Waylon, Je Waylon Jennings songs. It's not my favorite, but it's one of my favorite It's Are You Sure Hank Done It This Way? And it basically talks about the decline of country music and how it's become nothing but a business. That's a recurring theme from a lot of people in a lot of different genres of music. Waylon's got his own way of putting it, and as usual, Waylon does a good job of putting it his way. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast.
finally got it made. Old Hank made it here. We're all sure that you will, but I don't think Hank done it this way. I don't think Hank done it this way. Okay. Take it off. 